What's up, you football-loving maniacs? Tyler Terrence here from Three Honest Lads. Just one honest lad right now, and we do thank you and bearing with us during this pivot in terms of our name and our brand. And obviously, thank you again for tuning in to Three Honest Lads and what we're bringing to the table. And again, we are constantly looking for critique, feedback, anything to make us better and to help make this a little bit more enjoyable for you, the fans, as we described in the first episode. We're going to do something a little bit different this time. This episode is strictly just going to be the interview with John Harks, and I think we're going to start to move in that direction, obviously, given the amount of time that we're allotted with particular interviewees. But John was unbelievably kind in giving us upwards of half an hour of his time and talking about his time in terms of being the coach of the Greenville Triumph now in USL League One, coming off their 1-0 loss in the inaugural game of the league against Tormenta FC this past Friday night. They actually have their home opener against... Lansing coming up this weekend and John was just terrific. We thank him, you know, a thousand times over for being able to take the time to be the second ever interview in the history of this podcast. The first ever interview in the history of three honest lads. He talks about his coaching destinations and not necessarily taking a job just because it's a job, but because of the right fit recants his time with the U S men's national team and the tragic death of Andreas Escobar his favorite memories, his biggest disappointments in his career, not necessarily about the destination that you're in and the cities when we asked him what his favorite city was to travel, but more so about the company and the people that you spend time with. And John is a very holistic guy. He takes a very just sort of soulful approach to the beautiful game, and he has helped grow in an in more ways than we could possibly cover if we had two and a half hours with him. And as Devin said, towards the end of the podcast, we could pick his brains for hours and hours and hours. But this man has a lot on his plate and getting three points in the history of Greenville Triumph is certainly at the top of the list. So without any further ado, our interview with John Harks. All right. Second ever interview following up a, a tough act to follow. And Tim Howard is Hall of Famer for us, former U.S. Men's National Team member and Really, those accolades are, are not as important as the biggest thing that John Harks has accomplished in his life, which is People Magazine's 1994 edition of 50 Most Beautiful People. And John, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the names that are on this list, you are in some some very good company. Winona Ryder, I believe Denzel Washington is on here, Meg Ryan. Out of all the things that you've accomplished in your career, this has to be towards the top of the list. Yeah, gentlemen, it's uh, this is serious stuff, and uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, something that we don't really we don't really take too seriously. Um, I, I can remember though the phone calls that were coming to me from People Magazine at the time, and me hanging up on them four or five times, thinking it was my best friend from Kearney, New Jersey, uh, just joking around with me and winding me up. Um, so all good times, <laughs> all, all fun stuff. But I mean, what are you gonna do? It's yeah. It's, it's, very good, very good. Um, so, Coach, obviously you're coming off of that tough 1-0 loss in the uh, in the inaugural opener for USL League One against Tormenta. I thought you guys played well, probably deserved uh, a bit better than a 1-0 loss, but but such is the game sometime. And Coach of Greenville Triumph, you know, again, you're in charge of another expansion team, which seems to be coming your forte a little bit. You and I had a conversation before the game, and I thought the story of how you sort of came about to be the coach of Greenville was fascinating. I'm sure the USL championship and league one fans would love to hear it, but just sort of recant how that all went down with Doug Irwin and Chris and everybody. And, and just sort of how you became the coach of Greenville triumph. Yeah. I mean, my, my daughter, Lauren, um, I have two daughters and my one, one youngest is now at Elon university, but my other daughter, Lauren was uh, at Clemson for three and a half years as a captain of the women's side. So, 
we were down in Clemson. It's only 25 minutes away from Greenville. We, we knew the Greenville area. Um, you know, Chris Lewis had reached out and, you know, through kind of Twitter direct message through the, the USL office and finding out that Greenville was trying to do this and get it done right. Uh, and Chris Lewis, the president, asked me if he could pick my brain on a few things, which I said, yeah, no problem. And he was coming down to visit um, at a spring game and just watch with his youngest daughter, Becca. And we stood on the sideline and just, you know, really just talked soccer and development and uh, structure, organization, you know, and, and what it takes in terms of leadership and vision to to kick off a, a club, an expansion club, you know, the hard work that goes into it. And, um, you know, that was about four hours long. <laughs> the conversation was supposed to be an hour or two, and it just it just went on, and we got along so well. Um, and, and we shared a lot of the same vision, same um, insights on things and character and everything about the players. And, you know, and I, I, I made it a point to, to tell them that, you know, getting back into coaching for me was important, yet it had to be done with the right club and, you know, the right setting. And, you know, uh, doing it right for the community was very important for me. And so, you know, by the end of the day came and, um, you know, we revisited again and, uh, we just kept talking about, you know, how do we make this work and does it make sense for us? And, you know, we share the same vision as the ownership group. So, you know, it's, uh, we finally made a decision to do this and, and go for it. And just in terms of your experience with FC Cincinnati and now launching another expansion team, does, does launching a team that has a blank slate and allows you to put a John Hark stance on it, does that intrigue you more than taking over a team that's already been established? Not necessarily. I mean, I think there's challenges to both and there's rewarding, um, you know, circumstances as well that, that may follow. I, you know, I just so happens that, you know, I love, I have an eye for talent and ID players and, but I also love to create opportunities for guys that, you know, and, and, and maybe some aspects, some of the people IDing talent in this country kind of overlook and, um, what I don't want to see is a talented player be told that they're not good enough and they give up hope uh, within themselves. So you're, you're trying to bring in a holistic approach to the coaching side of it. Of course, you want to compete. You want guys in there with the right character and ability that want to win games. And, but at the same time, you also want guys that are wanting to grow and develop themselves and become good young men and, and move on and, and maybe jump into other things that are bigger than what we're doing. So you know, hopefully um, that's what we can do here in Greenville. And if we do it right, um, you know, you're, you're growing the game. And, and there's an accountability there and a responsibility for all of us to grow the game. Um, it's just not about, you know, what can I get out of the game? What can I take out of the game? It's like, what can you give back to the game and see it grow? And so we're hoping that things could uh, can prosper here and things guys can develop and, you know, build a good club. Hey, Coach, Devin Kerr here. Um, you take a look at all the – you talk about growth, all the growth that's gone on around the USL and its, its brand itself. Talk to me about the umbrella that League One, obviously League Two in there as well, but League One has come into and where this league is going. There's so many teams, some on their own, some affiliates, some two teams. And, and what's the growth look like for this in the future under the brand of the USL itself? Yeah, first of all, talking, it's a great, great question. Um, you know, we look at the, the, the rebranding of this league. And, you know, even when I took over Cincinnati and, and, and wanted to, uh, you know, grow that from the ground up. And, and we were looking at the fastest growing league 
uh, in the Division Two status anyway in that division around the world. And uh, it continued to, to go from strength to strength. And now what we're seeing is, um, you know, in making sure that we're getting the right tier structure in place. Because in our country, you know, we always it was great in 96 when a lot of us, you know, maybe seven or eight of us that were playing overseas came back and help develop major league soccer. And, and we look where that growth is now. Well, it, it, I think it's a important part of it to, to grow the strength beneath that, the next phase, the next phase, the next, the, the, the divisions that are in our, in our country that have a big void to fill, or maybe become this, this, you're bridging the gap a little bit. And if you give that strength to each of those platforms and those levels, then you're going to have a, a really sustainable model for a long period of time. And so that's what we're looking for is longevity in the game. And it's not just about wins and, and loss columns. It's about growing the game so that 10, 20 years from now, we are super strong in our country. And there's a lot of opportunities there for guys to play and compete. And we want that. I, I think people want that both on the men and the women's side. So hopefully that can happen over a period of time. And, and really the umbrella itself, the, the rebranding USL uh, with the championship and the league one, the League Two status and then the amateur status with the MPSLs and all that, I think it's all going to fall into place really well. Um, you know, they, Jake Edwards has done a, such a terrific job of being thoughtful and being cautiously optimistic about growing this game and getting the right people on board that are financially stable but also are very well connected within their communities. And hitting those small pockets around the country is so important for this game to really go from strength to strength. So, look, we love the sport. I love the sport. It's in my blood every single day. There's not a day that I see a ball go by that you want to kick it around with kids in the street, even when you're walking by or go shopping for groceries. It's, uh, it's just brilliant. It really is. And so if we can make it stronger and, and create opportunities for the next generations to come through, then let's do that. And, John, just, just harping off that a little bit, and you had your stint with FC Cincinnati, and I actually went back and read your Players' Tribune article from 2016. I read it when it came out, but, um, you know, just re-looking over that and, you know, everything that happened during that 1994 World Cup, and, and your message in that article was that, you know, there's obviously things that are bigger than the game, and, um, you know, you obviously have your children and, and, and your significant other, and, you know, in terms of what your plans are for the future and, you know, you had FC Cincinnati and a little bit of a hiatus now Greenville for you 10 years down the line, like you were talking about, what, what is the, what, what's the goal for you? Are you just strictly focused on Greenville right now, growing the game in this country and seeing where it takes you? Do you have um, a long-term goal in sight? What, what is this going to look like for you moving down the line in terms of the beautiful game and how you're going to help grow it in this country? Well, I think, you know, first first things first, I'm hired by Greenville and Joe Irwin and the ownership group here is to do a good job. And, and you know, I have a three-year con- three contract here, which is fantastic. Um, I believe in the uh, the leadership group that's here. I think they're great people. Um, and we want to see what kind of response. It's so early in the process right now. So we're hoping that something can grow from strength to strength here. And if we do the job right, um, both on and off the field in the community, that this is a better situation for soccer in this country in Greenville, uh, South Carolina, and the upstate. Um, Long term, gosh, 10 years from now, I don't know. Hopefully I'm I'm retired with my wife, uh, Cindy, in Hawaii, and uh, the kids are healthy, and we're all, you know, living a happy life. I mean, who knows? I mean, does this take me to different levels? I mean, if it's right, yes, but it's – it's never been like people are always like, you know, uh, do you want to be in the national team coach? Do you want to coach at the MLS levels? 
if it's right, if you're enjoying your everyday job and you want to compete in that, it, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it would be nice to be in a big club maybe some days, but that's not the B end. You know, that's not like the number one thing I'm looking for here. I just want to grow the game the right way. And if that's, if that lends itself to some other opportunities that come along, sure, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll look at them. But again, it's going to be a family decision. Coach, I want to take a look a bit outside of the coaching level here and, and go down a couple ranks. It's, I don't want to call it a problem. Um, I'm curious your thoughts, we'll say it this way. I'm curious your thoughts on kind of the coaching at the youth level and, and moving up through, we'll say like the high school age group. There's so many reports about robo kids and, and trying to put them through academies and this, that, and the other, and then parents getting kind of stepping over the line. What are your thoughts on how parents are getting involved positively or negatively with their kids' careers? And then how much involvement did you have with Ian? Because he had some big names around him, but you're, you're no slouch yourself. Well, I mean, um, the first part of your question, uh, I think, I think first off, there's a lot of positives uh, that are in youth soccer today. Um, you know, I think it's it's so easy to focus on the negatives and 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 look, nothing's perfect, you know. And there's going to be um, a percentage of parents that are respectful and educated in the game that know uh, the right way to manage their uh, their child. Um, through that process and there's also going to be a percentage of parents that are uh, you know for whatever reason don't understand what it means for a kid to grow through adversity or to be challenged and they want to race to the scholarship or they want to race to they have all the money and they want to spend that money and they want to get the kid put in front of so many coaches but Maybe the child isn't prepared for that, not just physically, but mentally. And so having that balance and knowing that side of it is so important just from a starting position within the child themselves. I, I constantly come up against so many good coaches that are at the youth game. And one of the biggest things is that they, they have a concern on – the parent side of things driving this game into the child instead of the child having the passion and, and the desire to want to work and get better and train and, and, and be in a team environment. Um, it, you pray that it's not going to be that way moving forward. We're hoping that there's been enough attention now brought to it and a focus brought to it so that there can be a little bit more education in that process. And look, it comes down to accountability within the youth clubs. Everybody has a different culture. Um, some are all about winning, winning, winning at all costs, and the others are about winning and de development coexisting, which you should be in any youth game. It doesn't matter if it's soccer, baseball, football, or basketball, or whatever. Um, so, again, it, having that guy's a holistic approach, I think, is very healthy for any child, whether that child be like a U10, U12, um, and, and creating that love and that desire for the environment that they come into on a daily basis instead of being – it's so competitive and I need to win and you're not playing. So you're not getting enough playing time. Um, there has to be game management and there has to be training sessions that are management as well for the child and for the parents. So for me, it's an education for the parents uh, that I'm hearing a lot more. And, and sometimes for the child, it, it's about accountability and responsibility and maturing within the game so that they know when they cross the line and they come to training that, 
you know, they're there to learn. They're there to be pushed and challenged and they're there to be encouraged um, and that they want to be there. They want to be in the game. I think that's important. So I think sometimes that gets lost um, and everybody's looking to point fingers and say the coach didn't do this or that, you know, or the technical director isn't accountable for this. We also, just like I said years ago, that the fan base in this country um, has to really take accountability and to support their local club. You can support Liverpool and Man U and, you know, Bayern Munich and Barcelona overseas and everything else, but you do need to support your local club in this country. And I think that that message is the same for the parents and for the child that like you need to support yourself within the game of soccer. And that means watching games, studying things, film, uh, listening to the coaches when they ask you to do things, but there's a responsibility too. And I'm not saying it's perfect at the youth game. There is a responsibility within that youth club to actually um, have the right coaches that are coaching the age appropriate um, uh, levels for each of these ch- uh, children and that their personalities lend themselves to being a real teacher and a holistic approach. And sometimes you don't get that. So there's a lot of things that still need to be corrected, but there are also a lot of great things that are going on in the game. So you don't want to just focus on the negative. You want to continue to, to grow the positive part of it and see if you can make some little things in areas of development better as you move forward. John, well, you brought it up, Manchester United. Um, the, the wrong of, the, of those two clubs, you know, Devin and I are massive Liverpool fans ourselves. But um, you and I had a little bit of a, a chat about um, one Sir Alex Ferguson when we were talking before the, uh, the game on Friday night. And you said a quote that was very Sir Alex-esque in, you know, playing the game and not the occasion, which you sort of got across to your guys um, before Friday night's game against Tormenta. And you had talked about how you had sat down and, and chowed with Sir Alex a little bit. What, what was one of the biggest things that you've taken away from him in, in a few encounters that you've had with him? Well, I think, um, you know, for, for him, it's, it is managing the whole person. Uh, I think he did that such a, he does such a good job of that. And, you know, whether you go back to the young team that came through from the Academy, you know, with Beckham and, um, you know, with Gary and Giggsy and all those guys, I mean, but also managing some of the senior pros as well, that he had a connection to each and every player within his dressing room. So he had a collective approach to the team in terms of shape and style of play. And um, he was always like a half full kind of coach for me, meaning like even if he went down one nil, he wasn't going to go on a defensive end and be cautious. He just went for it because he would rather lose two or three nil and give an effort of trying to equalize that game up. Uh, instead of sitting back and just saying, okay, so we lost 1-0, but we didn't get hammered. But I love his kind of get-after-it type of mentality. Um, And he's just a positive person. He really is. Sure, is he a tough coach? Absolutely he is. Does he have high expectations and demands? Big time. He really does. Um, But what I gathered from him is that he was able to, you know, at times have that great balance and that emotional approach to the game where he looked at the bigger picture of things. Like, where are we going to be? Um, if you're kicking off in the season in late August, where are we going to be uh, by October? Where are we going to be by November? And that periodization process that he would see these guys going into the December break, seeing them by February, March coming out of it. So he had a great vision, and he also set up the platforms for success within his group. But his 1v1 management and connectivity is fantastic. So 
that's how I approach the game. I try to coach to encouragement, and I'm going to hold guys accountable every day in the culture. Um, today we had a heavy load of training, which was very, very good. Um, but there's accountability there. But there's also encouragement of, like, what we see and trying to inspire the guys to, to maybe push themselves but also hold themselves a little bit more accountable. So coaches don't always have to do that. And I learned, uh, you know, those conversations from him, from Ron Atkinson, um, even when I studied under Louis van Gaal was like that, when he was with um, AZ Akmar back in 2005. I mean, there was a, a lot of these, these managers that you kind of take from, but you just say, well, this is my own personality and this is how I approach these ideas. But it's always good to have that in the back of your mind because some of them are just pure leaders and they are very good at what they do. So I was always an open ear to learning all the time. John, you just kind of led us down the corridor of, of where I wanted to go. You, you referenced Louis van Gaal, and, and um, you were talking about Sir Alex. What about your actual experience with, with guys that you played under directly? Uh, Trevor Francis back in the day. My brother actually in the, in the 90s was over there, and, and I got a great picture with you and him um, when you were at Sheffield Wednesday. And I know you got a study under Roy McFarland, Bruce Arena, uh, guys that you played for directly. Who's maybe had the biggest impact on you that we might see in your coaching style or management? Um, well, initially, I was Ron Atkinson to believe in me and give me that open door opportunity to be the first American to play in the Premier League. Um, you know, he he was just he was really good. I mean, he was just a great man manager. And even when I mean, he showed that when within the first seven months we got promotion uh, up to the top flight and then also beat Manchester United at Wembley. Um, as a Division Two club in the old days, before we went back up to Division One and then became the Premier League in '92. So he set the stall out for me, and it was very good. Um, Bruce Arena, absolutely fantastic manager. He had not just the managerial skills in the one v one type of situation, but he also had the organization and the administrative skills. So structurally, he had plans for everything, and uh, and and together that's that he showed great strength in that you know as a as a game manager but also in the training sessions and building up the game so he knew the opposition well he also knew how to you know collect uh, a group together and and you know really just have a compliment on the field so it was very very good so to me like those two managers were great having influences from like a Bob Bradley Dave Sarakin that are always involved in my life whether it be Virginia or DC United um, you know, great managers like that that were always taken by Harry Redknapp at West Ham, even though it was on a loan spell at times, was fantastic. I thought he was great. Um, and again, it's, it's more about, I think it's more, and even now, today is different. So the player really wants that interaction with the manager. And, and having that standoff kind of ego in the past with some managers is never going to work today. Um, they're too, they're almost, they, they inquire about everything, which is great. And I love that. They ask questions all the time. And, uh, and you want that because the more collaboration you have within a group, the better the chemistry and trust that there's there. So, you know, hopefully I learned a lot from some of those managers and uh, I carry that forward with what I want to do. Coach, one follow-up, and I want to tie it into what Tyler asked you earlier about personal ambition. You mentioned Bob Bradley, Dave Sarakin, and Bruce Arena. Any chance there's an aspiration to move into the country aspect and, and go to the national level at some point in time? Um, well, I mean, if, if the invitation has to be there, I don't think there's a lot of people that think they're arrogant enough that they should be, you know, just coaching the national team. It's a hard thing to do. Um, 
you know, right now I'm just standing back and, and, and supporting Greg Berhalter and his staff and, uh, you know, supporting the women this, this summer as well in France. And, you know, you look at the national team setup and, you know, what Tab's doing at the U-20s, I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, look, if there's ever a day that, that I get called upon to help out in any way, I'll certainly do that. Um, you know, I enjoyed scouting at times for the World Cup qualifying stuff under Bruce Arena. And, uh, you know, it's – look, I mean, I, I would always want to help and, and be supportive of anything when it comes to the national team because it's the biggest honor in the world. Coach, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, Champions League, CONCACAF variety, is starting back up this week. Semifinals, Sporting, the only remaining MLS team in it. Uh, Monterey, Tigres, and Santos also around in the Final Four as well. You were one of the last teams to actually win when it was called CONCACAF Champions Cup all the way back in 1998 with D.C. LA Galaxy won in 2000. Kobe Jones scoring one of the goals in, in that final against Olympia. But um, in terms of CONCACAF Champions League, you know, it always seems to be a hot topic around this time of year and, you know, why, why an MLS team hasn't won it, you know, since the modern format. Um, have you been following along, and, and how important do you think CONCACAF Champions League is for Major League Soccer and growing it and sort of um, getting up to League MX status in that, in that realm? Well, uh, yeah, I've been following it, and, um, you know, not, not to a heavy degree, but I've certainly been following it, and I, I do think it's important for sure. I think it's important for our country um, to have clubs represent at the highest levels there and do well and win it, you know, because, you know, look, I mean, it's not – it's not like we're trying to go out and prove to everybody that we're at the highest level and we need to do that. It's just winning brings uh, a little bit of a value, you know, to what we're doing in major league soccer. I think sporting KC and Peter Vermes um, has done a tremendous job there at that club and not just, you know, in terms of winning and, and competing, but also just off the fields and within that community and building that fan base and everything about it, what they've done at that club is tremendous. I was out there for a week um, this year and just coaching with him and just being involved with the group and seeing what they're doing out there. I think it's excellent. And, um, you know, he gets it right. He really does. And I hope they do very well against Monterey um, on Thursday night. And, you know, it's, it is, look, I mean, we, we, it's funny how some people say to me, like, Oh, well, Harksy, you played for D.C. United, Columbus Crew, and New England Revolution. You shouldn't be cheering for other clubs and this and that. I'm like, absolutely you should. I mean, you, you look for the big picture of things. And if, that, if that's the club that's doing well, if, if, um, if sporting uh, is doing well at, at a certain particular time and, and you want to support them in the international competition because that reflects well on us as a whole in this country. So, yeah, hopefully they do well. Um, I enjoyed it, and winning that title um, back in 98 with uh, D.C. United was massively important to us and our growth, but also to um, the value and the, the exposure of our game in this country uh, from Major League Soccer. So just because you change the name of a tournament doesn't mean anything. There's still teams competing. It's the same, similar format, and it was not easy back in the day to win that from where we were. So we, we take a lot of pride in doing that. And not sure if you caught the uh, DC United Orlando game, but a lot of controversies surrounding the phantom foul Dom Dwyer and Rooney, and then the ensuing goal and the VAR. Looking at it afterwards, did you get a chance to see all that unravel? And then your boy Alexi Lalas was certainly animated in terms of what he thought. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I can't comment on what Lexi was saying. Um, 
you know, I, I, I watched some of the highlights from games like that. I, you know, from us building a club and being early in the season and we're coming up to our home opener here, April 6th, uh, in Greenville, um, there's a lot of preparation work. So there's times where I'm up to, you know, four in the morning doing video and just trying to get some sleep and, uh, it's hard to catch up on anything else guys to be honest. So, uh, no worries. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll do a better job. I will do a better job. I'll try to keep track. I do like what Wayne Rooney, you know, the, the finish that he had from the corner, I thought it was fantastic. People were saying, does he mean to do that, Harksy? And I'm like, look, I've seen him do that many times. So you got to give a guy like that who's been at a high level that can score goals like that the benefit of the, of the doubt. Absolutely. And we're going to go a little bit of a speed round right here just to, just to wrap things up and we'll get out of your hair. Um, first and foremost, what was, what's your favorite career moment from your playing days? Favorite career moment was beating Manchester United at Wembley in front of 88,000 people and walking up the Wembley steps to receive my winner's medal. Also from your playing days, biggest disappointment or result that sticks with you still today? Biggest disappointment, uh, losing um, to Leicester City in the promotional playoff final at Wembley when we probably outshot them on the day 16-2. to two. Whether it's from national team duties or playing overseas, what's your favorite city to go out and have a couple of adult sodas? Um, if you mean root beer, um, <laughs> yeah. probably... Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I did. I've never thought about that, but uh, I think it's not about which particular city, but if you have the right people around you, then that's important to share a beer with them and, and kind of enjoy moments. So, um, wow. Good city, man. I guess New York, anywhere in New York and New Jersey, cause it gets me back around my family and my my home, but also in D.C. There's so many great spots down there in Arlington and Alexandria. So obviously there were a lot of mullets flying around in the late 80s and early 90s, yours in particular. And we had a conversation with Steve Trichu uh, a few days ago, and he said that his, his mullet rivaled yours, and there were a few there. Who do you think had the best mullet in the late 80s and the early 90s in the world of football? In the world of football, wow. Uh, Chris Waddle, that played with me at Sheffield Wednesday, had some mullet. I mean, his when he was at Tottenham before he went to Marseille, unbelievable. He must have had an extra five, six inches in the back than I did. Uh, <laughs> Steve Tritchus is pretty good, and I'm sure that right now that you know, I was talking with Trit in the MLS Combine, and we were looking at players together, and I think he, yeah, he would probably welcome that mullet back again. And he'd probably get away with it. He'd probably get away with it. Um, <laughs> Miola, Miola had a good one as well, which went into a ponytail that we thought was getting a little bit out of control. But uh, again, with the Italian background, it, it kind of fit him. So that persona carried itself very well. But Marcelo Balboa, I think, I don't know if he has a mullet, but he still has had the same hair since like the late 84. Um, and I think <laughs> he has sunglasses attached to his hair and it's, it, they never come off, whether it's in rain or, you know, showering and sunglasses it could be 10 o'clock at night and he has them on his head i just don't know how many <laughs> he pulls it off well you know what bob bradley also has the same hairstyle since 1984 lack thereof but we won't touch oh that. boy um, tyler listen one thing i do need to ask though john i was going over the players tribune article i thought one of the most 
I mean, one of the funniest stories in there was how you and Tony Miola, Tony Miola were roommates during right before one of your games, and OJ was in his Bronco, and you were you were yelling at him to shut it off so that you guys can concentrate and get a little sleep. Was he upset that you were trying to turn off the TV? No, I was just I just kept leaning over to him because you know being in that English environment, you know, you're very disciplined with your routines, and prior to that. And yes, it was like a freak moment that was happening in the in the news, which not only just in the United States, but across the world. So um, he was kind of glued to it. And I mean, he's funny. I mean, he really is. And I was just like, Tony, shut it down. And he's like, Harksy, look at this. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, we got Switzerland tomorrow in the opening game of the World Cup. Can you please shut it down? You know, and he finally did. Um, you know, we got it. We got a draw out of it. It was a good result. Um, and, you know, we did very well against Colombia. Um, the only thing about the Colombia result, um, which was extremely disappointing, was, you know, again, the death of, of a player and Andreas Escobar, who was a gentleman in the game. And uh, that was a sad, sad moment, not just for me because I crossed the ball, but sad for everybody in the game of soccer that violence can carry itself that far. Um, you know, to really just bring everybody down. It was just so sad. So that was a shame because it was such a great World Cup and hosting it in our country was, was brilliant. And to get the fans behind us like they did was amazing too. So, I mean, yeah, it was, of course, it was a disappointment there with that situation. But overall, man, what a big cat- catalyst it was and a big platform for us in this country to really push game on to the next level. Absolutely. And, you know, you have you had a daughter in law who played at Clemson. Your son was a standout at Wake Forest. You yourself are a Cavalier from Virginia. So you know that the question is, who's your favorite ACC soccer team? Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> My favorite ACC. That's a good one. Um, well, you, I mean, you support your family wherever they are. So, you know, I guess the latest one was Clemson with my daughter, Lauren. Uh, my other daughter, Lily, is at Elon University. She's in a different conference. So now I'm supporting her in that conference. So, you know, look, I'm still supporting UVA. You know, Tony Bennett's done a good job with the basketball finally this year. They didn't choke early on, so I'm happy with that. All right, fair enough. Like a true politician, removing yourself from the situation. And finally, we, we take donations here. We like to, you know, sort of do that uh, piece of it. Um, Colorado Springs switchbacks in the Steve Trichu donation. Are you willing to donate anything so that the switchbacks can travel with 18 players? Because I know that Steve has mentioned to us a couple of times that they're not too keen on spending money over there. Wondering if you had any, any spare change to do, throw his way. <laughs> spare change? Spare change? Are you kidding me? I'm on the lowest budget in League One. What's he talking about? Oh my god! Yeah, tell him I'll tell him I'll send him a dollar fifty in the mail, and maybe he can grab a good slice of pizza somewhere in Jersey when he gets to travel. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Deb. Any parting words for the main man, John Hartz? No, I, I could pick his brain and talk to him for hours, and he's been kind enough to share his time with us. So I'll just I'll keep my mouth shut and, and wish him adieu and, and send him the best. All right, guys. All right, Coach, thank, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Coach. Guys. Appreciate it. Best of luck in the home opener. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Anytime. Look forward to catching up again soon. Absolutely. Take it easy, John. Cheers, Coach.